All right. Hello. My bloody horror cast is back. Yeah, it uh, it took us since August of last year. Yes. <laughs> but here we are again. You might say we're back from the dead, so you might even be able to call this my bloody zombie cast. But we're I back guess for a new decade. That's right. But I guess we'll stick with my bloody horror cast for now. <laughs> um, in our third season. In our third season. I mean, we've we've lasted this long. It's I'm kind of impressed. Maybe it's our fourth season? But if you count mean... the missed season, this could be fourth season. Okay. It's almost like maybe there was a writer's strike. That's why. Was, <laughs> we we created the writer's strike and now we're back. So those of you who are still listening to My Bloody Horrorcast or will be listening, um, we appreciate you checking this out. Even though we're a little late on our horror Oscars, nonetheless, we have our lists finally created, painstakingly poured over. Mm -hmm. Over the last uh, few weeks. I mean, it's still painstaking. We're yeah. still deliberating at the last minute. We are. But this is not the Horror Oscars episode. This is actually our top horror films of the decade from 2010 through 2019. Yes. Also very difficult. It's really tough because, I mean, I would say if, if you want to look at decades of, of horror films, you know, going from beginning to the end, 2010 through 2019, maybe one of the best of all time. For sure. As far as just the frequency of great films throughout the years, and particularly on, I, th I think on the front end of this, the last two, three years, we've seen a, rena a complete renaissance in horror. Mm, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you really have everything. You have these awesome, like, mainstream franchises. We've had some super solid remakes. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, A24, but a bunch of other cool indie horrors have been just knocking it out of the park. And indie horror, I think, is really what's brought you know, fringe watchers of horror into getting more into horror because indie films tackle all sorts of different social issues, sometimes political issues, that <laughs> yeah. that horror films back in the day didn't in the same way. I think I think horror is more woke now, a lot more woke. Some of my favorite horror movies are forever in the eighties, but I think we can sure. all agree that there many of them are very problematic today. Yeah, absolutely. Or fun, a lot of fun. But there's not much meat on the bone. So yes, this is a, this is really really challenging, uh, as I'm sure it was for everybody. You know, critics all around the world have been doing their top four films of the decade over the past three to four months, and so it, it has been really tough. But the good thing is, it's a a wealth of movies to choose from, and that's a, and that's not a, a bad problem to have. I'm trying really hard not to look at Carrie's list right now because I want to be surprised as we go through. I know it's right up here on the screen, so she could easily easily see it. So. I think we both decided that we're going to do this list in no particular order because that is, for me, impossible. Mm -hmm. I just I just can't pick a number one. I can't pick a number two. But a, a, a one through ten, yeah, we've got that. Yeah, I, I like my ten. The problem is I've got another ten. I've got like a second ten that I could probably <laughs> put on there. We won't bore you that, but yeah. we are going to, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll add in some honorable mentions tonight. I have like a shit ton of honorable mentions. Oh my God, yeah. All right, let's kick this thing off. Carrie, okay. uh, give me one of your top ten. Okay, so I'm going to start with um, a genre of, of horror that kind of got beat into the dirt, I think, over the last um, decade, which is the POV horror. We've had a lot of it. You can think of all sorts of franchises that, you know, kind of, again, kind of, kind of beat it into the ground. I happen to think that Creep 1 and 2 were a really, really good example of great POV horror on a shoestring budget. So the first one I'm going to mention is Creep 2. 
you know, Carrie, it, I'm not shitting you. Creep two is also on my list. Steph, that's why we do this. That is why we do this <laughs> because we we know each other. We know what we like. I think that uh, well, a the one the one things I love about the Creep series is that you got Mark Duplass who is one of the more likable indie actors I think in the industry, mm-hmm. and um, to see him go whole hog psycho in the Creep movies, I, it was pretty satisfying for me. All right, plenty of spoilers here. Yeah, that was a spoiler in itself. Yes, so we are going to spoil these movies for you. Um, we're not. We're going to try not to give everything away. I like to think that we're going to give you, you know, some some overall things, but um, but Look, we I do can, want you to see these films. I can't make haven't. any. I can't make any promises. I've got to just <laughs> fully talk about them. And I want to say my thing with Creep Two is after you watch the first Creep. I think all the way up until the end, maybe because I'm kind of a sucker, I was just like, you know, obviously he has problems, he's a really sick guy, but he is lonely. I think I am going to go meet him at this park bench in this public area, and definitely I would be murdered. That would happen, yes. Um, he, he doesn't care. Creep 2 rolls out, though, and you're just like, all right, we know 100% he is a serial killer. We've seen his library of victim tapes that he's documented. It opens with one of his kills and his midlife crisis about losing the joy of killing. And he's tricked me again, Carrie. Yes. <laughs> you start to wonder if this is going to be, you know, an un- an endless uh, Friday the 13th franchise of just Mark Duplass repeatedly going after, um, you know, unwitting victims. However, Creep 2 throws a lot of wrenches into the plan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it starts out, again, similarly to the first Creep, where um, you've got your first, your first main, main kill, and then you go into the, the meat of the story. But what I love about it is it continues to throw you off at every turn. Every, every scene seems to have a red herring right around the corner. I don't know. I really think in this case, I am a sucker that just like fell into like all of his mind games. And I'm just like, he's met someone he maybe cares about. He is done killing. And of course, he's like, he still is a serial killer. But what I think is great about the movie is I do think that he considers what he's doing in this film. Oh, you do? I do. I I think You don't think it was just a really elaborate game i think it's all things i think it's all that i think it is an elaborate (laughs) game but at the same time i think he actually does have moments where he's not sure if he's going to go through with it or not okay yeah Uh, but i but i think yes i think it's all planned from the beginning as well because he's you know obviously he's an incredibly smart person he he has these elaborate plots and traps set up but i also think that he um is unsure, which you didn't see in the first one. I think the first one, he, he fooled you, but you kind of knew at the end, you're like, oh, this is all set up. Whereas in Creep 2, I think I think some doubt creeps into his mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have some bad jokes. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Um, well, anyway, Sarah, who, oh, shoot, I can't remember, but she's also a cool director. I feel like the character of Sarah really comes in and... Desiree Akbon? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, gives him a run for his money. Like, he's not expecting someone who's going to, like, scare him back in peach fuzz mode and, like, get weird with him in a hot tub. Yeah. No, she um, she goes toe-to-toe with him throughout the movie, um, both um, on, a, on a psychological level and a physical level. And, it, yeah, it's... it's um, so it's a treat. Creep 2 is really a treat. It's really fun to watch. And again, it continually surprises you. 
I've watched it five times. I watched it two times by myself, and then I went to watch it with friends. I love it so much. Okay, cool. I'm so excited we both had that one. I know, I know. This is not planned, everybody. This is actually, this is, we have not seen each other's top ten, so this is completely off the cuff um, as far as what each of our lists are. Okay, so what is your I'm next gonna, I'm going to go with one that I, I really doubt you'll have on your list, and that is Ben Wheatley's A Field in England. Mm. I was really trying to figure out which Ben Wheatley film to pick because he's one of my favorite directors working today. I think Kill List is maybe a modern masterpiece, and we just haven't given it enough time yet. But personally, <clears throat> A Field in England was something I wasn't expecting. I don't love period pieces, and I think it's really hard to do a black and white movie well. But basically, it's it's got everything. It's got evil. It's got hallucinations. You wouldn't think I'd want to watch a bunch of dudes stumbling around in a field in England, but... It's amazing, and it is one of our most original and best horror movies. And aren't they all in mushrooms the whole time? Is that the whole thing? That comes in there. Okay, okay. Yeah. I've not seen this one, admittedly, and I am not up on my Ben Wheatley nearly as much um, as you are. I've seen Free Fire, I think, and I think that's it. Oh my god, you haven't seen Kill List? I have not seen Kill List, I know. Stop the podcast, we've got to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have been chastised. I now need to watch Kill List. You know what's funny is it's on a queue of, um, in one of the 18,000 uh, streaming services that I subscribe to. It's sitting in the queue, and it stares at me every time I go through the queue. Well, okay, whatever Ben Wheatley does, I, I'm going to say I do think his works are a little uneven, but whatever he makes next, I'm so excited to watch it. And I think the next thing is he's remaking Rebecca, the Daphne du Maurier book that was made into my favorite Hitchcock movie. So I'm extremely excited. I can't wait. Carrie and I will catch up on Ben Wheatley before that comes out. Yes, and I guess um, on my assignment list um, of things I must do, Kill List and A Field in England. I literally just lent Kill List to someone, and I'm about to lend it to you when you leave. <laughs> okay, all right, there we go. Cool, all right, that's perfect. All right, so A Field in England. Yeah, give me another one. All right, so this other one is a film with a plot line that we're seeing a lot of now. It's funny. The movie that kind of inspired this came out this plot this type of plot line came out in 90, 1993, and yet all of a sudden we're seeing just a slew of TV shows and films in the last couple of years that follow this device. And the device I'm talking about is of course Groundhog Day, and so the movie I'm talking about is Happy Death Day. Oh, Carrie, I'm so happy you put this on your list. This is another one. I think it is a perfect movie. It's hard to find fault with this movie, you know. I, Steph, I'd say you're probably more into the teeny bopper slasher stuff than I tend to be. Oh yeah, I watch I watch a lot of PG thirteen horror. Yes, and, and I'll, I've seen something with you, and, and uh, you know when you go see something that you're really excited about, I tend to you know go along or or at least watch it. But this one, I came into kind of intrigued again by the idea of this kind of Groundhog Day plot in a horror film. I think that's sounds really cool, and it turned out to be just freaking delightful. Happy Death Day is an absolute blast. It's fun. It's got some great comedic moments, really great timing. Uh, it's got some some good scares. I, I wouldn't say it's uh, you know it's it's not a jump out of your seat horror film, but it's a lot of fun. There's some good kills, and uh, it's just an incredibly entertaining film. And there's really not a whole lot like that in the horror genre over the past decade. That's why I kind of put it in here because it is something different. We hadn't seen anything exactly like this in horror. 
horror comedy is so hard to do and yes. the the idea of like reliving a day over again isn't exactly original but this this movie really is it was refreshing and it does have a lot of heart just the plot line with you know she's lost her mom she's dealing with like some issues of self-identity and she does become a better person over all these deaths. And who is the actress in Happy Death Day? Because she's in every single scene of this movie, which is totally incredible. It really is. It really is impressive. And she really moves between the, you know, what I like to call the, the Bill Murray, you know, evolve evolution, I guess. The Bill Murray evolution of uh, going through, you know, first you're surprised that you're repeating the day over and over. Then you're mad. Then there's just the resignation phase where you just don't give a damn anymore. And she really kind of deftly moves between all these feelings and emotions really, really well. Uh, Jessica Roth is mm. is the uh, the actress who completely carries the movie. I mean, you're right. She's in every scene. You know, she comes off as the kind of, at first you think she's going to be this sort of bimbo, sorority uh, character, but she's not. She's a lot, a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about it. Yeah. Really fun cast. Everyone's having a blast. You can tell. You, there are just certain movies where you can tell everyone's enjoying themselves and having fun. This is one of those movies where you just feel that way. Um, Ruby Modine is her uh, roommate. Ooh, who I just saw in Satanic Panic. Uh, yes, and she's she's great. The supporting cast. Again, it's one of those movies that you could have a lot of throwaway characters. Instead, they make you, uh, you know, they force you to actually like these characters. And, and they, they give them actual personalities. So they... they kind of turn their head on on some of the cliches that you find in, in college or this happens to be university, but, you know, te still teen horror. And, it's, and it's, like I said, it's an absolute blast. Yeah, it's totally great. Yeah. And written by, by the way, Scott Lobdell, who wrote a lot of X-Men um, titles in the 90s, um, multiple different spinoffs of the X-Men. So it does have that kind of sci-fi sort of element to it, and I thought that was kind of cool as well. So, yeah, happy death day. Cool. I, I definitely recommend it. I like it far better than the sequel, though I know Steph really um, liked the sequel as well. I thought the sequel was okay, but I think movies tend to be best when they stick with the original plotline, when they don't go too far out, kind of out there, and uh, and I think this one does a great job of that. I think the difference is, like, the difference between Gremlins and Gremlins 2, between Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day mm, 2. Mm. Like, Happy Death Day 2 is so off the rails, so when they try to, like, shoehorn in some, like, more serious emotion, you're just like, ah, I don't know, we just watched a montage of comedic suicides, I'm not sure if this is... Yeah, it feels a little unearned um, in the second one, but uh, but that's okay, because the first one exists by itself is is perfect as it is. Mm -hmm. No, but I loved, I loved both. Okay, well, another one on my list is The Love Witch. Mm. I've talked about it before, and I think it is the most... It's a movie where, like, every scene is a scene I just want to live in. It's aesthetically perfect to me. And I think it would make a good, like, discussion piece alongside things now that are relevant, like the show You mm. on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Because there is this Great idea. show. Yeah. In fact, we agree on this. Season two of You, I think, far surpasses season one. Mm -hmm, 100%. I think season two is awesome. Uh, it's a lot deeper. The sub, the supporting characters are a lot more interesting. It doesn't have as as many kills in season two of you. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. How? No but I think that makes sense because you flesh out all these other characters and the stakes are bigger because you like these characters a little bit more and you and you uh, 
you get to see, um, experience their journeys as well. Yeah, the Luck Witch is really taking just the idea that she thinks she deserves a very specific and unrealistic type of love, and she's hell-bent on it. She pushes this, like, hyper-feminine image. It's beautiful and retro. So it's this witch, Elaine, living in the greatest house that's ever existed, dressing to the nines all the time. She's got a hair fall. She's just perfect. And she just keeps trying to learn these men and then killing them when they don't work out. So it does kind of remind me of you, just this idea of this this kind of predatory thing, but we kind of cut them a little slack at first because, you know, they seem attractive mm. and charismatic. But yeah, Anna Biller directed The Love Witch. I also can't wait to see what she does next. I think she's responsible for every costume in the movie, certainly mm. the design, and she made a lot of props. Like, she makes the um, the pentagram rug that you see in The Love Witch. She, like, hooked that herself by hand. Ooh. Well, I know this movie was big on your radar when we did our horror Oscars the year mm -hmm. it came out, and so I had a feeling it would probably come back. Yeah, I've, it's also one that I'm happy to have repeat viewings on. Mm. Okay, all right. One I have not seen, but obviously, as you can tell by my, my uh, silence, I've not seen this one. I probably should see it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll watch it with you anytime, Carrie. I'll, I own that too. I'll put it on my list. My list, I tried to select films that were unique in their own way each one you know I, I tried not to cross uh to put too many of the same type of genre on my list so this next one there are easily two or three other films i could have included in my top 10 that i think are almost just as good as this one or 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 as good but for some reason i really want to put this one a uh, sinister oh it's it's a, a little bit earlier in the decade uh 2012 and i just What's up? Where it has like the VHS stats and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the first scene, so it's Ethan Hawke. So you've, you know, you've got a big time actor in this one. You've got Ethan Hawke um, as the main character. And the first scene, one of the early scenes in the film where he's watching one of these VHS tapes of uh, a bunch of people with the bags over their head hanging from a tree. And it's just a haunting, haunting scene. Yeah, the first Sinister is awesome. I really think, is that another Blumhouse movie? Because I feel like we got a spat of them where we're just like, oh man, it's time for some real cool mainstream horror movies. But also, Ethan Hawke's in his own career renaissance. He's been putting out, I think, Predestination Forward. He's been doing some cool things. He is. And one of the things about, about this one is it's, it's a little bit grimier than some of the other films of, of its ilk. It, it's dark, it's kind of, it's just sort of dirty. You, you, you feel kind of weird watching it, which I love. Yeah, and it does have like its own sort of messed up sense of humor. Like the VHSs, I can't remember. Snuff what films, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the snuff films. I can't remember their titles, but isn't it like, there's like pool party and people drown and there's like backyard barbecue. Like, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And what's funny about uh, Sinister 2, there's not much blood. There's no sex, barely any bad words but the content is so creepy it's very creepy that they gave it an r rating um <laughs> the filmmakers want wanted to... pg-13 they were hoping to make more money obviously make uh... make a little bit more pg-13 but the the studio's like nope you're getting the r i just want to clarify that when carrie says sinister 2 he means sinister also not sinister the second movie <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> i started to watch the second one i watched it i I 
didn't dislike it, but I mean, it can't hold a candle to the first. No, it's it's hard for me. It's hard to even really compare the two. But yeah, it's a it it's a great example of a film with jump scares that are earned, and feel uh, exactly as they should be in that film. I, I think it's a, a great haunting film. Mm-hmm. So. Oh man, good pick. And I'd totally forgotten that came out mm-hmm. in the past decade. And Scott Derrickson, who directed that, actually directed uh, Doctor Strange as well. Really? Yep. Kind of, kind of interesting there. I'm glad the um, Marvel movies have been taking some risks with directors. Yeah, he was kicked off the set of part two, but that happens to almost all directors. It seems like in the Marvel universe that direct the first one, they have a creative clash with the producers and then they leave. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, franchises. What are you gonna do? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, on my list, I have your next. Oh, that this was a tough one, Steph. This totally could have made my list. It's an honorable mention high on the list of honorable mentions. Maybe the top honor. This might be number 11, you know, if we were going down, you know, past the top 10. Well, I almost put Ready or Not on my list, which is a movie I just enjoyed the hell out of. Love it. But I was thinking about it, and I think between the two, they're totally different movies you can enjoy on their own, but they're similar enough where I wanted to put your next on more. Mm-hmm. Basically, I hate home invasion movies. I I especially hate if it turns out there's no purpose for it, like The Strangers. I, I feel mm. very upset by the plot twist where it's like, why not? But with your next, it starts off as what looks like a random, like, freaky home invasion, violent mm-hmm. murder. And we get the greatest final girl ever, maybe? Because she comes in so prepared she's she grew up at a survivalist boot camp and she's like ready to take on all of these assholes and it's so satisfying and it's so fun and I don't think you've got like a minute to get used to anything like they're basically setting up a family dinner and suddenly like everything breaks loose it's great the bossy Aussie Sharni Benson Ooh, the only other thing I've seen her in is one of the Step Up sequels, and I can say that she is a triple threat, just like an old school performer. She's an actress, she's a singer, she's a dancer. Oh yeah, no, she's a complete and utter badass in your next, and I love this film. I absolutely love it. When I, whenever I get a chance, I show people, because it's, it's, it's just, it's so much fun, it it totally harkens back to slasher films of the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what Wingard and Barrett are going for. The cast is fun. You've got some, you know, minor indie stalwarts like Joe Swanberg and AJ Bowen. They frequently show up in the Wingard Barrett, the Ty early West Wingard Barrett stuff. Like a Ty West shows up. Yep, House of the Devil. Ty West um, shows up in it as well. A friend of the director's, obviously. Yeah, the movie's an absolute blast. It's just, yeah, you just you just have so much fun. You just go along for the roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. Lots of great gore. Some really fun scenes with a blender. <laughs> Yeah. A blender used to to uh, to great effect. Uh, really, <laughs> anything in the house that you could think of to use, they pretty much use in this film to uh, defend themselves and or uh, attack someone else. So, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in this one. I was just thinking, and even like the smaller characters, they're still so good. Like, you find out it's two brothers, and one of them has less resolve than the other, but he has this like sociopath girlfriend who's like. She wants to like fuck on the bed that one of the parents has just been murdered on. She like That is one of the best scenes <laughs> of the entire film. She's like, You're no fun anymore after he says he won't fuck her on his, the bed where his dead mom is laying. It's oh, and Barbara Crampton. Oh my Barbara god. Barbara Crampton and Larry Fessenden. <laughs> yeah. Larry Fessenden's in it. I mean, it's 
It's their love letter to 80s films. And honestly, this is at the point where we were like, Wingard and Baird are going to be the next big thing. This is still their best film, in my opinion. I have to agree. And you know what? I'm not going to trash their other efforts. Neither am I. I'm just going to leave that at that because I think... Because I'm still excited to see what they do next. Sure. They, they can still coast off this film. It's it's so fantastic. They can, yeah. They can they can never put out another film and I would still hold for them sure. in high esteem for your next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, God, I love it. All right, Carrie, what you got? All right, so next I got... This was a tough one because... Um, when we first saw it, we, we and Steph and I watched this together in the theaters. Um, I liked it, but the more I thought about it and seeing it again, I just liked it better and better and better. It's The Witch ah, by Robert Eggers. That is one of my honorable mentions. And I put it in there because, again, it, it's different than everything else in this list as well, on my list. It's a period piece. Mm-hmm. It's period horror. It's the 1600s, which you don't get a lot of. <laughs> no, um, and it's so well researched. I, you know what? It could even not be well researched, but it's presented in such a way where I'm just like, they did a hell of a job. Yes, I completely buy this manner of speaking, this clothing, this like very dire atmosphere. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got a great performance by Ralph Innocent, the uh, British actor who I've seen in a number of films. BBC The Office. BBC The Office. Yep, he's been he's been in a lot of films. He's not always the main character. He's great in this movie. And Anya Taylor-Joy is also fantastic. She's um, wonderful. As his daughter. It's a creepy film. It's got witches, possessed animals. It's got one of my favorite ending scenes of any horror film I can think of in a long, long time. This movie has such an incredible and haunting soundtrack. I feel like we're listening to like an evil chaos choir at the mm, end and mm-hmm. I I was all about it. I also think this might be my favorite coming of age story that's come out. Mm, yeah. I'm I'm also sorry, I'm going on a tangent now. Please. I'm currently reading The Witches 1692, which is about the Salem witch trials. Ah. And it really just makes such a good argument like the movie The Witch to be like you know, fuck this shitty like life we're in right now. I feel like Satan's offering me a better deal. <laughs> right? He's straight up offering some butter. He's offering some nice dresses. Mm. They did not have a lot of color back then. The fun facts in The Witches 1692, a few things. Apparently they were able to turn faces upside down and make like penises disappear. Things like that where I'm just like, we need to straight up make another 1600s witch movie because... These things that these people believed are beyond belief. Like, they don't make sense. They enchanted hedgehogs. A witch can be identified because she can only cry three tears out of her left eye. They were riding hyenas to bacchanals in the woods. I mean, you know, the upside-down faces and the um, possessed hedgehogs, I'm totally down with. Disappearing penises is a little more disturbing for me. Can you Um, imagine, like, being a dude in this era and, like, bringing these claims to a court? (laughs) And people taking you seriously. Yeah. No, that's that's it's it's awesome. And and the movie does you know it, there's a lot of backstory to it. There's a lot going on with it. You've got this family banished from their you know this Puritan plantation because of you know their their differences on you know sort of the the religious principles of the town that they're in. So there's all sorts of interesting stuff going on you know socially. At, at that time mm-hmm. um, that it kind of goes through. So, yeah, there's a lot to like in The Witch. It is a slow burn. So if you haven't seen it, you, you're not getting a lot of gore. You're you're not getting a lot of jump scares. But you're getting this, this unending feeling of dread throughout the film mm-hmm. that he does to 
excellently in this and in The Lighthouse, his second film, which we saw, which doesn't make my top 10 list, but it is one of my tops of the year for 2019 for sure. Oh, Lighthouse totally. is just a, an absolute crazed fever dream of just insanity. Um, They're so different. Like I Very much so. I laughed so much watching The Lighthouse. It's maybe more disorienting than The Witch. The Witch is a very linear story. It is. It is. Yeah, that's what. That's why, yeah, it feels, the. whereas The Lighthouse feels like a nightmare, uh, The Witch is just a really kind of um, enchanting story. Mm-hmm. And when you do, like, see some, like, nasty shit in The Witch, like, there's this scene where the mother, who is the coldest, least affectionate mother who has ever existed. God, Yeah. <laughs> I she barely she barely has a pulse the whole time. I mean, yeah, I mean you can't call her like a wicked mother figure, but she is not kind or loving. And there's this scene where she thinks she's nursing her baby again, but it's a crow pecking at her breast. That scene is deeply disturbing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a it's a very interesting film. It's unlike any other film on my list. So yeah, if that's if that's one you haven't seen, um, it's highly recommended by both of us. Mm-hmm. And also it showed up on our horror Oscars for for uh, 2015 as well. Okay, yeah. And, you know, I want to just go with, is that Eggers? What's it's it? Eggers. Yeah, yeah, Robert okay. Eggers. So he's like a young director who's obviously made some some really cool movies, his first two movies. So I guess I'll just like move over to another one, which is Ari Aster. And I put, Mm. I couldn't decide whether to put Hereditary or Midsummer on there for a long time, but I'm going to go with Midsummer. Ah, interesting. In some ways, I think it's objectively not as perfect a film as Hereditary, but it makes my top 10 list because it hit me at the right time in my life. And I just, I can't believe how satisfying I found the whole thing. I love the way it looks. I think it is the most feel-good horror movie, not intending to be, like, funny particularly, although there are funny parts. Yeah, so Midsummer, we discussed in our very last episode that we recorded in our one-episode season. Yep. <laughs> and basically, there's this girl, Danny, who's experienced a bunch of tragedy. It's hinted that she herself may have a mood disorder, and she ends up at this Midsummer celebration where it becomes clear most people are there to be human sacrifices. It ends with her being crowned May Queen, sacrificing her boyfriend in a bear suit, watching her other friends burn up. I loved it. Definitely, you can see some influences there. Most strongly for me, The Wicker Man. But it's more beautiful and satisfying to me than The Wicker Man. I like it more than that, to be honest. It's, it holds a lot more weight than The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man, I think, is a great story. We've never seen a film version that really um, has has the weight, uh, the, the background um, that that Midsummer does. It really ties in the idea of these um, strange traditions, strange cultural traditions, things that to us seem strange, but that are completely natural to to that particular society. It's I, th- I think what's most interesting about Midsummer to me is that. I've never seen a horror film that is as horrific as it is that takes place 95% of it in daylight, in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. And yet the entire time you're completely creeped out. You're unsure what's happening. You're just, you're, you're the whole time trying to figure out, you kind of know what's going to happen in a way. You're trying to figure out how they're going to get there. And on the first viewing, I was just 
I remember at one point, I think it was about two hours in the film, hour and 45 minutes, I wasn't sure what the hell was happening. And then I watched it, I was looking at the characters, I was like, well, this is exactly, the director has done exactly what he wanted to do, which is put the audience in the same place as the actors, yeah. as, the characters, as the characters in the film, which is where you really don't know what's happening. Everything seems fluid and everything seems like, every moment seems like you're sitting in some weird, you know, waking dream. And they're like constantly dosing throughout the movie. Yes, yes. It's very, yeah, it does a very good job of putting you things, everything around you is breathing in the mm -hmm. entire film. It's moving and breathing on its own. And it's it's really, it's off-putting at times, which is great. That's exactly what you should feel. And at times you just kind of go with it and it feels like you're you're in that mind state, even if you aren't. I, I guess the last thing I want to say about it, because Carrie and I talked about it so much in our last episode, but I recently read some stuff about like little things you might have missed in Midsummer, and you can see her sister's face reflected like in in the trees. The, in the trees. Yes. Like her sister, who's just like gassed herself to death. I saw that on the second viewing when I was watching it with a couple friends. I did not catch that in the first viewing. I was in the theater actually. I, I went by myself because I missed you guys. I thought you were going the <laughs> earlier showing, and I was like. You know what? I'm already here. Damn it! I'm gonna watch the movie. Um, <laughs> I know that was such a sad, like, planned movie event. But... No, but it was, but it was great because honestly, I I was really kind of into the idea. Normally, I love seeing and prefer to see um, any film with with our you know we have multiple groups of friends we go see films with. But I kind of enjoyed sort of sitting in that one, kind of anonymously watching it. Yeah. And it, uh, that actually made it even creepier for me. Yeah. So there's there's Ari Aster all over these lists. So. Yeah, okay. Well, oh, last thing. I also love the artwork and the way it kind of unfolds like a story. Like, it really just opens up and closes like a fairy tale, in mm -hmm. my opinion. And yes, the film is two hours and 40 minutes, and that's not even the director's cut. I'm ready for the director's cut! I am ready. But, I dare say, if you like the film, watch it again. You will see new things. You'll pick up on things you didn't pick up the first time. Um, it, it, it definitely warrants multiple viewings. That, that is mandatory. Mm -hmm. It's a PSA, public service announcement. <laughs> My Bloody Horrorcast. You must see Midsummer more than once. All right. So the next one, we even debated about this. Is this really a horror film? It, it made our Oscar list for um, for our horror Oscars in uh, 2005, for the 2015 year. We did in 2016. And I think it is a horror film. It's Green Room. I absolutely think it's a horror film. And I love this film. I've watched it many, many times. It's Jeremy Saulnier. Um... Who did uh, what? Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin, maybe one of the most interesting revenge movies that's come yeah. out recently. Yes, it's one of those. You know, most revenge movies are a fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, most revenge movies uh, they play it up. They want they want you to get you know it's they want you to feel the uh, the joy of getting revenge. Blue Ruin is not that at all. It's it it basically shows the cycle the unending cycle of revenge. Well, Green Room builds on that whereas Blue Ruin is actually a fairly subtle film Green Room blows the doors off the hinges Green Room is just insanity it's basically a punk rock band traveling around on this kind of ill-fated tour and are they in rural Oregon they're in Oregon Pacific Northwest but Oregon specifically and one of their gigs falls through it's it's a it's a, a shitty gig to start with it reminded me actually of uh, a couple of the gigs I had with my old band where we played to like five people and there's some old guy at the bar saying, what the hell is this, you know? <laughs> um, so they're then offered a gig at a sort of compound, I guess you could say, 
and it turns out to be a skinhead compound. Yeah, and it's it's totally realistic and terrifying. It is. No, all of it feels like this could potentially happen. Not likely, but it could happen. And uh, I totally think it could happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, it's incredibly frightening to think of yourself being surrounded by this group of really pissed off and fucked up skinheads. It's uh, it's it's very disturbing in a lot of ways. Um, it's I, I think it's it's such a fun film. It's gory as hell. Great action scenes. Um, nothing feel you feel like the characters are doing everything they can. You never you know it's not like characters go up the stairs to to run after the killer to go you know somewhere where they can't get away. Like you feel like these characters are doing everything they can as well as they can, and they're just constantly getting into these awful situations. Once yeah. they get trapped in the green room at this club, this after is they're like set. the nerve shredding, like tension of survival. <laughs> yes, they they witness something they shouldn't have, and then they are trapped, just mm -hmm. trying to get out. And I actually don't think it's super gory. There's one scene that I would cite. Um, who's the actor? There's who a there's a there's some away? there's some arms getting shot at. So this is Where he uh, gets sliced this is, up. This is Anton Yelchin. Mm -hmm. Uh, who who was killed in that bizarre bizarre accident, uh, and I think it's one of his best films, one of his best roles. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen him in a number of things. Also, it's got motherfucking Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I know when you think about who should play like a Pacific Northwest skinhead leader, Patrick Stewart's not really. I mean, he is like a bald man, but he's not the first would, person who would come to mind in a casting room. Absolutely not. You would not put him on this list because he's Professor X. He's uh, you know, Captain he's Jean-Luc Picard. Picard. You know, he's <laughs> he's everybody's like grandfather. But no, he is sinister as hell in this movie. He's a bad guy. And not like bad, bad meaning bad, not bad meaning good. Like he's not, he's a bad dude. And the movie is, it's exhausting. By the end of it, you are, you are physically exhausted just from watching this film, from everything that goes on. I that's think it's, the, that's the best word to describe it. It's exhausting. I can't believe you've seen it multiple times. I could barely get through it the one time. I'm just like, oh my God. Oh, I, I <laughs> love it. What have done? <laughs> it's so satisfying to, to see that, to see uh, them get past these insane Nazis. I thought that was great. Did so, you watch? The, does the director made one or two movies after that? So Saulnier also did Hold the Dark. Right. I haven't seen it. Which came out uh, a couple years after Green Room. I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, it, but, it, but it doesn't, for me, it wasn't as effective uh, as Green Room or as much as uh, Blue, and Ru Blue Ruin was. He also did a couple episodes of the newest season of True Detective, mm, which I cool. thought was excellent and harkened back to... You know, the original, it had Mahershala Ali also, who is just fantastic in everything he does. Uh, best part of Luke Cage season one, in my opinion, too. So, yes, he's done a couple things, but he takes his time. He's one of those directors who definitely definitely doesn't rush to do the next film. He takes a few years between each one. He's got a couple things upcoming that sound interesting, thriller-type projects uh, in the works. So, I will be there for whatever he does next, for sure. Right on. I'm there, too. And, you know, I'm really glad this made it on your list. It definitely deserves to be in a top ten. Yeah, I think if anyone's like, what movie should I watch from the, the 2010s, I'd be like, you should watch Green Room. But I it's one of them. no desire to watch it again. <laughs> 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 I'm going to go with Raw which mm. is another movie when Carrie and I first started our podcast. It had just come out. We watched it at Cine. 
I'm a huge fan. I still don't know if was it Julia de Carnot? I uh-huh. don't know how to pronounce French names, but we're sorry, Julia. Sorry. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> Basically, there's a young girl, and she's starting vet school, and she's a vegetarian, but she slowly comes to realize she has a taste for human flesh. <laughs> it definitely runs in the family. There's a There are so many good scenes in it. I mm. think it makes a good case against doing home Brazilian waxes on yourself. Oh, God. Or even having your sister do them. You don't know it can go wrong. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, that was probably one of the most disturbing scenes for me. First of all, I don't understand how anyone could do that. And then seeing what happens in that scene is pretty pretty insane. Also, a movie that I like over-related to, not in the cannibal sense, but in that there's a scene in Raw where she's her skin is just breaking out in hives. She's eaten like a piece of raw rabbit or something. Mm-hmm. And she's just blowing up in this full body rash and I at the time was having a really terrible reaction to like a tick bite where I was also getting hives all the time and I was just watching that and it literally made my skin crawl like I started feeling like itchy and uncomfortable watching her because I'm just like oh I know exactly what that is it's so terrible it was a very effective movie. It has a beautiful soundtrack. I'm excited to see that young actress and the other things. I it is another, maybe I just love coming-of-age movies with these, like, teen girls getting pretty wild because she's, like, going to parties. She's chomping pieces of dudes' lips off at, like, paint parties. Oh, yeah. It's a great film. We, we, we both saw this at Cine. That's why I love that we have a, a local theater like Cine where we can mm-hmm. see movies like this that we totally. would normally not get at our other theaters, which we also love to go to. But, um, but yeah, we got to see this at Cine. It's also one of those films where I wasn't, I wasn't exactly sure how much what I thought of it when I walked out. The more I thought, the more I I thought about it afterwards, it turned out to be one of my tops of the year, 2016. All right, agree. All right, so this next one was okay. So Mandy is my next choice. Also on my list, and you know we didn't rank these because it's too hard. It's but too if hard. Someone like put a gun to my head, I would say might be my number one movie. I loved it so much. It gave me such a joy and a thrill. It's one of my favorite movie-going experiences. Yes. I loved everything that Mandy was about. It, like, ticked all of my boxes. I feel like I should have been um, tripping on acid when I watched it. I was not. I was completely sober. Um, and uh, But I think you could watch it either way uh, because yeah. it's really psychedelic. It's crazy. It's bizarre. You've got, um, you know, Nicolas Cage kind of uh, going off, going away from his, you know, kill shot, you know, or what, kill shot five, you know, all these, all these, you know, ridiculous direct-to-video, um, even though I know it's an antiquated term now, uh, action films that he's been doing for the past 10 years. And, and he gets into something that's really interesting and really original and strange and creative, and, uh, and he's fantastic in it. And he does go full Cage. For those of you who haven't seen Mandy, if you're a Nicolas Cage fan, you must see this film because he does go full Cage, but he's also very reserved. As Nicolas he wa- Cage is a brilliant actor. He is, as he was in the movie Joe, an incredibly, incredibly underrated, one of Nicolas Cage's best films ever, and not many people have seen Joe. But he plays a backwoods logger and uh, who befriends some uh, this uh, this young kid, sort of becomes uh, kind of a, a weird mentor to him. This 
the first half of Mandy reminds me of Cage's performance in Joe in that it's very understated. It doesn't feel like he's playing Nicolas Cage. He's just, he's actually playing a character. Who is also a logger. Who's also a logger. So I think that we found the sweet spot for Nick Cage. Anytime he gets an offer to, uh, for a role in which he is any way connected with the logging business, do it, man, do it, because those are your best films. There's something about that SpectreVision production company where I feel like, because they also did the Color Out of Space. Yes. So. They, they like forest horror, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like Nicolas Cage is made for these movies. The scene where he's just getting wasted with grief in his like tidy whities and his like tiger baseball tee yep. is such an epic scene. Sipping vodka out the bottle. Yeah, and I Mandy really is two movies, mm-hmm. and they're both great. Yeah, the basic premise, Nicolas Cage and his girlfriend, um, who's also fantastic, uh, Andrea Riseborough, mm-hmm. they, you know, they're they're living out in the woods, kind of uh, sort of a, a, a semi-hippie-ish existence. Yeah, they have their own, like, kind of oasis. Oh, I said, or excuse me, not, not hippie, they're just more, you know, naturalist. Mm-hmm. You get the sense. But they... A cult, um, they come across a devil-worshipping cult, and shit gets real weird after that. Mm. And the cult leader, Linus Roach, is also fantastic. I cannot believe... Really fantastic. Nicolas Cage was first considered for that role. I'm glad that he was able to play Red, and this guy came in to play the cult leader because... They're both exactly where they needed to be. A hundred percent. It's really just it's re, it's a really strange film, and and again, it's sci-fi, it's horror, it's drama, it's a little bit of everything. It's a living heavy metal magazine, and it's one yes. of it's one of those movies where nostalgia is so big right now, especially like seventies and eighties nostalgia. But this doesn't feel pandering. It still feels like so original. It really does. That's hard to find these days. Mm-hmm. A movie that feels original like this one. And it's got Bill Duke. Yes! Bill Duke is a survivalist who is just living in his camper, giving out weapons to Nick Cage, being his ally, and eating cheddar goblin mac and cheese. Yes. He looks like he's about 175 years old and he's just still kicking. Bill still doing Duke. his thing. Bill Duke. I recently, you know, Steph, I recently uh, rewatched, uh, I went to a yard sale and I purchased Predator. I found it for like a, just a Hell few bucks. Yes. And it's one of my favorite all-time action films. And I recently I rewatched it. Predator. <laughs> on glorious VHS, CBS, Fox, VHS. Yeah. I mean, it's still as good as the thousand times I've, I've watched it, but a uh, great Bill Duke performance. Every time I see it, I'm just waiting for Bill Duke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To uh, to go crazy after um, the kill off his, his buddy Jesse Ventura. And then he gets wild and goes for revenge on the Predator and, and ill-fated revenge, but still. Um, so yeah, Mandy is is really required viewing if you are A, a horror fan, or B, a Nick Cage fan. Gotta see this film. Or if you just want a visual feast. Everything about it sure. is incredible. And the soundtrack. Soundtrack By is, the dude from Sun. Yes, it's... <laughs> Everything about this movie is great. You just need to see it because even our description really doesn't do it justice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. What you got? Well, yeah. After Mandy, where do I go? Okay. I have Under the Skin by Jonathan Ooh, Glazer. That's an honorable mention for me. 
I still don't consider myself a fan of Jonathan Glazer, but I am a fan of Under the Skin. That is based on a Michelle Faber novel where there's basically this alien. Is it an alien? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the most original alien stories. It's not action-packed, but no. it is horrifying. It is a slow burn. There are scenes in that film. Scarlett Johansson plays the alien. Mm-hmm. And there are scenes in the film that I've never seen in any other film. No, she's. And again, with all with all the the media that we have to consume, I think that's that's all, that always says something about the originality of the writer and the director. You know how they how they visualize these ideas on film, and uh, and there's some things you just never see. She's just luring men into this black pool of doom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. I think that's very good right there. Yeah, it's very apt. And it's one of those movies I keep forgetting about. Like, I kept putting together my best of the decade list, and I'm like, what else came out then? And someone's like, did you watch Under the Skin? And I'm like, oh my god, did I? I loved it. Yeah. And I need to watch it again. I meant to rewatch it right before this episode, but I didn't get there, and I'm definitely going to. I've got it on order. Yeah, that, I mean, it came out a long time ago. It was like seven years ago. But yeah, if you're a Scarlet Joe fan, definitely got to see this one as well. Yeah, Glazer takes about uh, 10 years between each film, it seems like. But when he, any of his films, you know, they tend to be fairly cold. Oh, yeah. I feel like he's more of the that Kubrick school of, of directors. I keep getting him mixed up with Chris Cunningham, but what were the music videos that Jonathan Glazer did? Didn't he do the um, Apex Twin videos, or is that... I think Cunningham. he did. Well, he did. You know, he did some Radiohead. He did Massive Attack. Oh, yeah, yeah, Radiohead, Dead Weather. Right, right, right. So he started out as a music video director, and he's always been connected to. I mean, he's done uh, Nick Cave. Worked with Jamiroquai. So he's. I mean, obviously, music. I think is his his first love. Blur. He did yeah. some did, did some work with Blur. So um, I wonder which Blur music video he did. Well, he did. Uh, oh, the Universal. The right Universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Really, really interesting, you know, comes from that music video school of directing, but he his films don't feel, you, you know, a lot of times think of a, like um, MCG or McG, however you want to say it. G. Yeah. <laughs> He's a music video director and his movies look like they were directed by a music video director. <laughs> yeah. They're insane, quick cuts, you know, no, you know, you've got your, your minimum shot length is every shot, you know. Jonathan Glazer's the opposite. Where He's the opposite. Where his music videos are like art films. <laughs> yeah. Sexy Beast I thought was great. Sexy Beast is great, but Birth I I had such a problem watching and getting behind. Birth I had just had a hard time. I, I Birth just didn't grab me. It, I just I just couldn't get into it. I mean, it's one of many movies where you're just like Nicole Kidman's still like crushing in some like really weird roles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's great in it as she is in everything. But the premise of that movie, if you've not seen Birth, she is basically trying to form a relationship with a child she thinks maybe her husband. Yeah, it's real creepy. <laughs> real, real creepy. So anyway, that is not Under the Skin. Under the Skin is excellent. Highly recommend. Yep, agreed. All right, so four more to go. Um, I've got even less. I only have two left because we've had some overlap. That's true. Okay, so um, Hereditary. Oh, I'm so glad you picked that because I felt bad not picking it, but I didn't want to do more than one per director. No, I, I totally agree. I, I felt the same way. We, and we I could didn't have. I want to pick all 
new ones. Right, right. No, easily you could pick both those films to go on top ten. I could have picked Midsummer. It is a um, uh, an honorable mention for me as well. Hereditary, I think, is one of the best film debuts by a horror director that I've seen. It's haunting. It uh, it takes you. It, it moves in directions that you don't expect it to go in. It's got fantastic performance. I, Tony Collette's just great. Tony Collette Let's just say that. deserved a Best Actress nod for this role. If it hadn't been considered a horror film, she I think she would have. I, you know they don't they don't like to give out awards for horror films and you know the Oscars or the, or the Golden Globes. She's fantastic. Gabriel Byrne back from the dead. Gabriel Byrne. I haven't was seen so him glad to see in decades. Again. Right. And now he's doing more stuff because he was in that Netflix TV show Maniac. I uh-huh. was just I'm like yeah Gabriel Byrne. Yep. Molly Shapiro's her daughter is great as well. Mm-hmm. Alex Wolf is the son. Uh, so basically, it's a, it's a family grieving. They've had some tragedy. Family member um, dies early in the film, and they're trying to mourn the loss, and weird supernatural things begin to happen. You start to realize that maybe these things have always been in play and always been happening. It's just now we're starting to see you know, the the result of these generations of, of weird, weird stuff going on. I think I started realizing that, like, people were into horror, like, in a more mainstream cinema way when Hereditary came out, because it was playing it. We've got essentially four theaters in town, and it was playing at every single theater, like, not just our art house theater. And I remember thinking, like, damn, Hereditary has made it! It's an embarrassment <laughs> of riches we've got as far as theaters to get to in this town. For a town of this size... 130, 140,000, we're pretty damn lucky. Agree. Um, yeah, so Hereditary is one of the very few horror films on my list that I was legitimately scared in a couple parts. Like, I was legitimately freaked out by a few parts in Hereditary. And that doesn't happen much. I mean, we've been, you know, kind of deadened to being scared, I think, for the... Mm-hmm. We've watched... Both Steph and I, um, well, I are huge get, horror fans. I still get scared. But I, it's rare that the smart scares get me. Like, mm. I have, like, knee-jerk reactions to well, yeah. all the jump scares sure. still. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not very observant, but he gives you enough time and doesn't lead into it with musical cues or, like, lighting cues where you're just, like... So appreciate that. You just have that. to notice for yourself when, like, shit is going on in the back. Ari Aster does not think you're too stupid to watch his movies. That's what I love about it. He he assumes that you're... And, and he... Yeah, he doesn't give everything away. He makes you wait for it. He makes you draw your own conclusions. But the payoffs in both Midsummer and Hereditary are incredibly satisfying. It's hard to end films these days. Mm-hmm. I think that m- even a lot of great films that I love, the endings fall flat. Well, that in my opinion, uh, that does not happen in Hereditary. It does, doesn't happen in Midsummer. They're, they're, the endings work really well. They don't betray the rest of anything that came before them in the film. Yeah, I think Hereditary was probably my favorite horror film in 2018, if not right up there. Probably mine as well. His two films are literally night and day. Like They are. Hereditary is such an actually dark film. Like So much of that takes place at night mm-hmm. in a house where you're just like, Jesus, just turn on a light in your home. Please just light up your home. <laughs> you're, yeah, I mean, you know, you're not going to see a horror film that gets like an 87 on the Metascore. Like if you go on IMDb and look at their list, that just doesn't happen much, mm-hmm. if yeah. ever. This is one of those rare, rare occasions where it does. So again, I, th- I think whether you're a um, you know an occasional horror fan or a diehard, you've probably seen this movie. If you haven't, or if you have, either watch it for the first time or watch it again. It is 100% worth it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess I'm going to go with 
The Wailing. Mm, yes. Which is a Korean horror movie. And it was hard for me to choose because I feel like Korea is having a real moment in the sun. Maybe not right now in some ways, but in other ways, certainly with like their pop music and their horror movies. And ETK. A... <laughs> yeah. So when The Wailing came out, it's not like any other Korean horror movie I've seen. The thing I like about Korean movies is it can go between a million genres. It can be like everything in the kitchen sink. One thing I hadn't seen in Korean cinema before was a provincial setting. Mm -hmm. So this is set in the country. It's it's a small superstitious village. I, I didn't know anything about Korean shamanism. And there's this sequence with the shaman that is just mind-blowing. I absolutely love that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film, if mm -hmm. not my favorite scene. And there are parts of the movie that feel like Korea's version of The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. There's just, there's so much there. There are some weird biblical illusions that I'm not sure I've seen in Korean cinema before. Um, I really liked it. And you know, I remember when we first talked about watching this movie, I'm like, I'm gonna find everything this director's done. Still haven't done it. So this is a good reminder to myself. I gotta look up this director and I'm gotta go watch his other stuff yeah the wailing was one of our top picks for 2016 2016 was a good year so we're going back year. over all these uh, over all these films so many of them uh, in 2016 were were absolute hits mm, uh, train to busan came out the same time too yes it did so yeah this and honestly steph we after we watched the wailing i started to go back and this kind of it kind of inspired me to go back and watch, I think we watched Tale of Two Sisters mm -hmm. not long after that, or I know I did for the first time. Yeah. Um, and we, we watched that, I'm pretty sure, yeah, yeah together, yeah. So um, The Wailing is just another example of all the things that Korea is doing right when it comes to horror films. And uh, I, I, you know, it's, they work so well, I think, for an American audience because there is such a Western influence in Korea, yet they are wholly their own. And there's, there's a real connection to the characters characters are really fleshed out well the wailing is heartbreaking yeah it's a it heartbreaking disturbing film it's long it's it's a it's it's an epic film as well and it opens up like with this goofy i think he's a policeman like the dad mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. feels like oh we're gonna laugh at this doofus and then it goes to such deep dark places and then you have these like lush mountain settings mm -hmm. just everything about it I feel like it's such a saturated and rich like film watching experience and I did not even notice that it was almost three hours long like it feels real long <laughs> it's yeah it's it's a wonderful film and you know if you aren't versed in Korean film I think it's a great one to watch. Uh, I think A Tale of Two Sisters is a great intro to Korean mm, to Korean yeah. horror cinema if you're not familiar with it because it it plays on a lot of familiar uh, themes, supernatural themes. But the Wailing the Wailing is a little bit more of a deep dive, um, but it is it's so good. And it's actually been a minute since we've gotten like a straight up Korean horror film make it to the states and blow up. Like I I kind of hope like in the wake of Parasite being such. Parasite is the first time that the Academy and I have 100% agreed on a movie. I, I'm i still so excited that it won Best Picture. I can't get over it. And maybe we'll that was see amazing. some more yeah. cinema hit, hit now. What a coup for foreign cinema. And, and it really does. Korea, Korean cinema deserve that. And um, that, that film, Parasite's wonderful. I would say as far as my general top 10 of 2019, if you're just talking about films in general, that was my number two for the year. 
Oh, that's my number one of last year for sure. Yeah, it was right behind 1917 and not far behind. Um, so my pick, coincidentally, is I Saw the Devil, my next one. Ah! I Saw the Devil, another Korean gem! Yes. It's also an epic film. Yeah. Totally epic. It's about to be remade by our friends from your next, Wingard and Barrett. What? Yep. Did Okay, I am going to trash this a little bit because aren't they sick of doing remakes? After Blair Witch and Death Note? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe nice. that's just their MO now, you know, I, I don't know. I something original. And I'm I'm usually not a hater on remakes, but I want more people to watch This I Saw the Devil. Yes. It's Kim Ji-Woon mm-hmm. um, or Ji-Woon Kim. He's been credited as both. And he did, coincidentally, A Tale of Two Sisters, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful, wonderful ghost story. I can't recommend that film enough. Since it came out before we were doing this, uh, doing My Bloody Horror cast, um, we've, we've covered it in our Korean yeah. episode, Korean uh, totally horror cinema beautiful. episode. It's gorgeous. Uh, he also did The Last Stand with Arnold. You know what? Arnold. <laughs> You're, I think we've seen this before. There's like a, a totally rad... Eastern Asian director and they come over and something's lost in translation and I do not blame them at all. Um, John Woo hard target. Uh-huh. Yep. Or John Woo <laughs> broken arrow. Yeah. I Saw the Devil is basically a story of a secret agent and a serial killer and they're basically playing a cat and mouse game for two and a half hours. It is incredibly brutal. Yeah. It is about as brutal a film as you'll watch. It's incredibly disturbing. It's not for the faint of heart. Not I saw the, I saw the devil is advanced horror cinema. This is not like you're not in your intro class where you can you know you can skip a few classes and you'll still get an A. No, you have to like <laughs> go into this one. You have to study before you go in and know what you're getting into. But I saw the devil is incredibly rewarding. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. I can't I can't state overstate that enough. It's really wonderful. I would say this is another revenge film. Oh like God, yeah. It and actually, you know, we're talking about Blue Ruin from Jeremy's, Jeremy Jeremy totally earlier. Totally different revenge film. It's here. a it's a very different revenge film, but it also shows how revenge begets revenge begets revenge, and how that cycle beca- can become unending mm-hmm. if both people are really dug into to their mission or, or or you know what they're uh, what they're after. And it's got some great actors, Min Sing Choi. And Byung Hoon Lee. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Are very well known Korean actors, and they play off each other so well. Yeah, I saw the devil is also. We were talking about Green Room earlier being exhausting. This is an exhausting film. I've only seen it once. Normally, I watch I watch you know films I love a lot. I'm gonna watch it again. I. You gotta be ready to watch it again. Thinking about it, I'm pretty sure I've only seen I saw the devil once, and I would also like to watch it again. Yeah. So again, if you're into Korean horror cinema and you have not seen this, it is an absolute must-see, but just be prepared. It will it will disturb you. It will stick in your brain for a while, for long after the film ends. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's my... I could have picked Train to Busan. I could have picked The Wailing. But again, I was trying to pick something different from each selection this year, or for this for this decade. And I saw The Devil just, just was the one that... It, it won out. And this is totally like a landmark movie because I remember seeing it in like DVD rental stores. R.I.P. Vision Video. <laughs> oh, Vision Video. All right, what you got next? Well, this is the last one on my list because okay. we've covered everything else, but it's um, Get Out. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll talk about that as well because that is one of my last two also. 
Well, so one of our first, maybe our first episode, we talked about Get Out. Uh, it's a movie that I think just a couple years before it came out, you wouldn't be able to imagine it existing and being like a huge blockbuster and like Jordan Peele being an award-winning director. It's so good. I remember when it was first announced that he was making a horror movie. I think I'm like, oh, is it going to be like kind of Tales from the Crypts, like kind of funny and cheesy? Mm -hmm. It is not. Like there are some funny moments, but it's like, it's smart. It's timely. It's disturbing. I think the idea of the sunken place is such a perfect image, a perfect terrifying and depressing image to see. Yeah, it's still great. I'm I'm glad to see... Is it Daniel Kaluuya? Yep, Daniel Kaluuya, British actor. Yeah, very cool to see him going on to make other awesome things. It's got a great cast that um, really jumpstart a lot of careers. Because in the last two years since Get Out come out, uh, Lakeith Stanfield has now become kind of a mainstay. Lakeith He's... Stanfield is maybe one of my favorite actors today. I feel like he can do no wrong. I even saw the trailer for that romantic comedy movie coming out and I'm like what the heck why not he's been good in everything no he's great he's he's on a roll right now Lil Rel Howery is the only comic relief in the entire film and they don't the comedy comes just at the right moment and he's not really a clown he's a hero he's not a clown but he provides he, he is the comedic sidekick though yeah uh, but they don't paint him he's not a clown at all but he provides the only comic relief in what other what otherwise is an incredibly gripping film. You know, the thing about Get Out, and we said this before, because Get Out won, swept our horror Oscars mm -hmm. in 2017. It's rare that a film comes along where you can't find fault with it. Where everything works, everything's in sync, the, all the performances are, are fantastic, the direction is as tight as you'll see, Get Out is that film. That's why, if I were going to pick, if I were going to rank the top 10 films of the decade, Get Out is in my top two or three. There's no doubt. Um, mm, if if not number one, mm -hmm. because you just I just couldn't find any fault with it. It's it's it, so many great um, analogies to to today's social climate, racial social climate, and uh, Jordan Peele. You know, we all we all watched Key and Peele, and we all knew from those little sketches that he has an incredible eye for cinema. You can see you saw that early on, and watching Get Out was so satisfying to see him do a full-length feature that was that good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Get Out Get Out is is an absolutely amazing film. And probably, I'll bet nearly everyone listening to this, all our listeners across the world, are probably have probably seen Get Out. If you haven't, God, go now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you have, it's worth watching again because you do pick up on things the second time. And it's just as satisfying on any subsequent viewing. You can also kind of see, I mean, more in the movie Us, his follow-up than Get Out. But Jordan Peele is a real deal horror fan himself. He is. So it's not like, you know, like some of the A24 horrors, they're amazing in their own right. And you can tell that they're fans, but it's there's there's so much aesthetically going on too and mm -hmm. get out i would say the entire movie feels like someone who's like loved horror movies their whole life absolutely and it, it's no surprise that he went on to do twilight zone because get out feels like a, a feature length twilight zone episode oh yeah i still haven't seen his twilight zone i'm sorry no I haven't. sorry jordan we have not watched it yet gonna watch it yep okay so here we are this is this is the last on my list um, like I said, these are not ranked, though I would say that Get Out 
again, would be in my top two or three of the decade. But the last one for me is going to be the Evil Dead remake. And anyone who's watched or watched has listened to my bloody horror cast or knows me and Steph knows this well is that I dislike remakes intensely. <laughs> yeah, Carrie. Um, Pretty mad when a remake comes along. And particularly near the late aughts, we had that slew of really awful, crappy remakes like Prom Night and our big divisive one. Black Christmas. Yep. Black Xmas. Black Xmas. But, I love you know, to it. be fair, I know, I know. <laughs> to be fair, there are some remakes that are some of my favorite films of all time. A big example is obviously John Carpenter's The Thing. That's one of the great remakes ever, I think, in my opinion, as far as horror yeah. films go. So I went into Evil Dead. The remake, which came out in 2013, so again, long, still a long time ago. Uh, I went into it going, because it was an Evil Dead film, knowing that it had Sam Raimi's blessing, and not really knowing much about Fidi Alvarez, who also um, directed what a film we both liked a lot, also uh, Don't Breathe, which came out mm-hmm. a few years ago. Also a very taut suspense thriller slash horror film. So I went to the Evil Dead not expecting much kind of a little pissed off that they were doing a remake that Sam Raimi was not directing. Yeah. I was kind of upset about that. All that goes away because, you know, what, what Raimi talked about is that he felt that the the remake of Evil Dead was what he might have envisioned originally had he the um, had he had the budget that they had for this newest version. Because he intended it to be scary, and now the original Evil Dead is fun and cheesy and silly and one of the cl- great classic horror films of all time. There's no doubt about that. But he watched Evil Dead and I think was genuinely shocked by how bloody and gory and insane that film is. And I think it is freaking awesome. I do too. The Evil Dead remake fucking rules. And you know, I like remakes. I'm always willing to give them a shot. But I was not expecting it to be as good as it is. It's scary. And it's which you know, and... And it, uh, you get a, a, a female heroine in this one. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have, they kind of turn some things on their, you know, on their head. So instead of your Ash, you've got this really strong, really interesting uh, female lead in it who carries the, carries the show. Now, there's a debate. There's a, there's a big debate on this one, Steph. Okay? About Evil Dead Remake. What's that? The debate is what horror film has used the most fake blood ever. All, there are a number of films that claim that they used the most fake blood ever. So Dead Alive was the first one at that time when it came out. They, they, were, they had used the most fake blood ever. Oh, I totally believe that. And then Evil Dead Remake came out, and they said they had used the most fake blood ever. Now, recently, It Chapter 2, they said that they used the most fake blood ever. However... Is that, isn't that a bunch of CG blood? That's the thing. I don't, I'm not quite buying it. Because 50,000 gallons of blood were used in Evil Dead Remake. Just think about it. 50,000 gallons of fake blood. It's everything you want in a horror film on steroids. It's <laughs> insane. It it has it's gory as hell. It's bloody as hell. It's disturbing. It is yeah, it's an insane version of the Evil Dead and I think it is absolutely fantastic. And there's really no there's no other film on my list that's like it. I I mean Oh, yeah. If you're talking about mad, you know, crazy insanity, maybe the green room, but even green room doesn't quite hold a candle to the the madness of I saw the devil. It's it looks gorgeous. It looks great. I, I rewatched it recently, and it's just as effective as a, as we know when we first saw it. You know what, seven years ago, and it's one of the rare remakes that holds up 
to the canon of the original series of films. I can't wait to re- rewatch it myself. And also... I mean, it's very different. Yeah, very, very different. Very different. It's, it's not, it doesn't have the humor that Raimi put in the original, or particularly in Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. The, the humor is not there. I'd say the first Evil Dead wasn't really trying to be that funny. It wasn't trying to be. It is now. Now, when I was 12 years old and I saw it for the first time, I was freaked the fuck out by it. Totally. But um, but, no, I, but now, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, what, 37 years removed from it now? And, it, and, and yeah, it doesn't feel, um, it, it's, it's not nearly as scary as it was when it came out. I remember it scared the hell out of Stephen King. He always <laughs> says that when he watched Evil Dead, it was, I think he said it was like his favorite horror movie ever when it came out. So yeah, so I would, I, I dare say if you haven't seen the Evil Dead remake in a long time and you're wanting, um, you know, to watch some crazy horror, go back and see it. It is mm-hmm. absolutely worth it. And Evil Dead, sort of like how I feel about Suspiria, it's definitely its own standalone movie too. Like you don't have to be a fan of that franchise to no, because it's so different. And and actually, you know, some viewers may like it better than the original Evil Dead's because you know I you may be looking like for a... something that's straight horror, whereas Army yeah. Darkness is as much comedy as it is horror. Yeah, to- total slapstick in that. Mm-hmm, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like a really young horror fan were more into the Evil Dead remake. I could see that because um, sometimes you know some of that old goofy humor may not play the same well, same way for yeah for some. Although I mean, we've also been blessed with Ash versus Evil Dead, and that was that totally worked on every level. For okay, me that too. show was great. Yeah. They, they did a great job So there's room for all of it in yes. in terms of Evil Dead. You can have it all. You can have it all. You, you can have your cake and eat it too. And Sam Raimi actually really says that the Ash vs. the Evil Dead is, in essence, Evil Dead 4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so there's our, our top 10, respectively, wanna... of the decade. We've got some honorable mentions we can throw we in there. I think we should rattle off some honorable mentions. Give me, give me a couple of years, Steph. I'm not even going to say too much about each one because no. we'll just be talking for like hours on end. But I really loved Possum. It's, it's like a... I've never seen that one. It is at the library to borrow. All right. And that is by one of the creators behind Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Mm, but it is mm. not really humorous it's it's this dire bleak british setting there's a very creepy uncle the main guy just looks so depressed intense he's just tortured and he's made this large puppet that the design of it is excellent and the soundtrack is straight up like a a mental headache but it's wonderful i love the soundtrack to possum so that's one of my honorable mentions i have beyond the black rainbow i mean to me that's mostly the look of it more than the story i think mandy's a better movie panos cosmatos the director of both um beyond the black rainbow and mandy all right i've got what we do in the shadows oh love it dr sleep i also had the evil dead remake Annihilation. I'm one of the rare who thought the book and the film very different. They like fucked me up in different ways. I really like both. And then I had It Follows. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm so I've got it. It Follows is on my list as well. Under the Skin and You're Next, right there, you know, just below my top 10. The Wailing was also on there, which you mentioned earlier. I put Train to Busan because I think Train to Busan is one of the best zombie flicks of the last decade. Yeah. Oh, my God. Train to Busan should also be one of my honorable mentions. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost made my top 10 list. It was really hard to decide wh- which was going to go on there. But yeah, Train to Busan is just fantastic. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's it, it For me, it kind of breathed new life into what felt like a, a genre that was getting really played out. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, that's great. Black Coat's Daughter, Osgood Perkins' second Black film. Black Coat's Daughter! Love that film. It's an extreme slow burn. It's got these two intersecting storylines that are each really fascinating and you really don't know where they're going. He does a really good job of playing it very close to the vest until the end. Black Coat's Daughter, is, it, it's really dark. It's really dark, like both figuratively and literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you great one. Um, the Babadook. Babadook. I love so the Babadook. Good. Really great throwback to old to an old monster film. I do not think this cheapens the movie at all, but I love the way that the Babadook has accidentally become an LGBT figure. And I just want that to go on forever. <laughs> Why that is, I don't know, but yeah, sure. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, Cabin in the Woods would be on my list of honorable mentions. You know, I... There's, I know there's a lot of a lot of divisiveness in that one. There's not. Andrew Shear is the only person I've heard who did not enjoy that movie, which is totally cool. No, I loved Cabin in the Woods. I don't know why I didn't consider it for this list, though. Yeah. It follows, like I said, uh, Insidious. The first Insidious would, would be a, a, was a strong contender. And Gerald's Game, Mike Flanagan. I had to put a Mike Flanagan film at least somewhere here. Oh, shoot. I, it could have been know. Oculus... Could have been Hush, but I think Gerald's Game is probably the most effective of those, uh, that little batch of films. TV is so much like cinema now, I feel, and I think the best thing he's done so far is probably Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House is a brilliant show. What I love about it is it's one season. They're going to they're gonna do another season. They're gonna, I think they're filming another season as we speak. What? How? But it's gonna Why? be They're going to be different characters. Oh, okay. Totally different thing. How, uh, Haunting of Hill House... Is if you're a horror fan, you must watch that show. It's so well done. Mm-hmm. Flanagan's a very humanistic. Uh, um, he's basically putting together a bunch of family dramas. I think he everything is. he's done. They're all family dramas. They're all about family. All the characters Sleep, even. are really well fleshed out. You know, there are a lot of um, horror films. Even a lot of horror films I love where the characters really throw away to the plot. It's all about the plot. The characters, you, you know. Take them or leave them, toss them, kill them, whatever. In Flanagan's movies, the characters are all indispensable. So when they when when their characters killed off, it hurts more. You feel it more. Yeah. And that's in whether it's Doctor Sleep or Gerald's Game or any other ones we mentioned. And uh, I thought I thought Gerald's Game was supposedly the unfilmable Stephen King novel, and Flanagan hands down crushed it. I'm waiting for him to do like a third Stephen King adaptation so I can just definitively say that he's like an expert at adapting King's work. Yeah. I mean, as, as it stands now, I don't know anyone who's consistently done two Stephen King films that well. <laughs> yeah, Stephen but... King books that well, pardon me. Yeah, so that's another one. So totally. this, was, this was a really tough list to make. I know this has been one of our longest episodes. And we appreciate you listening, if you're still listening. We are, we're coming back. We're, we're, we're back on it. My Bloody Horrorcast, we're going to be doing regular uh, podcasts from here on out. And our next edition is going to be, even though it's a little, we're a little late in the game on this one, still think we need to do it. Yeah, we're going to do some horror Oscars, something, mm-hmm. our annual tradition. Yes, for, we'll do our 2019 list. Actually, in a way, I'm kind of glad that we didn't do it right before the Oscars because there were a couple I saw in the last couple weeks that made it to my list. I, yeah, I've still got a few to catch up on, so, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I've got a lot to catch up on, but a few that I'm going to have time to. So, uh, whoever out there is listening, we really appreciate you uh, checking out my Bloody Horrorcast, yeah, The Triumphant Return, and we will see you next time. See you next time. Bye.